Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Thursday, September 21st, we've got another edition of the Just Baseball Show. I'm RM Layton. He's Peter Apple. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics. Of course, season's winding down, only about 10 games. Too bad the Padres decided basically over the last two weeks to, to start winning. But it looks like it'll be too little too late for them. But we've got a lot of things going on. Carlos Correa's injury is the weirdest conversation that I'm looking forward to having. Or is planner fascist, so that actually is a good thing. We'll talk about that. Jordan Walker made some swing changes. I dove into that. He looks awesome, so excited to discuss that. Jack Flaherty to the bullpen. Uh, it seems like every arm that was traded for got moved to the bullpen. The Marlins claim Matt Moore on waivers. That poor guy's been traveling all over the country. And then we'll do a little bit more MLB draft talk with some names that are worth noting that have either been performing or struggling a little bit. And as always, Peter... Brought to you by BetMGM. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. 
Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If it loses, if the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. I might have said 1000 It's $1,500, people. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply and must be 21 or older. Aram, before we get into all these topics... Did you see the news about Yusei Kikuchi? I'm so glad you brought that up because the second I did the intro, I was like, shit, I didn't think about mentioning Yusei Kikuchi. That is the funniest thing. I'm partly convinced that he's trolling, but please, please set the scene. I don't know if he's trolling. It's like one of those things where why would you lie? If if that makes sense, it's yeah. like when a person, it seems like they're over-exaggerating, but it's so insignificant that it doesn't even make sense to lie about it. Yeah. So you say Kikuchi was pitching against the New York Yankees, went about five strong, and exited the game due to cramps. And that's not funny, right? You don't no. want to see a guy get cramps and leave no. a game. But the reason he got cramps, truthfully, sure. did make me laugh a little bit. Yeah. So you say Kikuchi didn't get his normal sleep. So what does that mean? Yusei Kikuchi, according to reports, sleeps 13 hours a night. He normally goes to bed at 11 p.m. and wakes up at 1 p.m. He still got 11 hours of sleep that night, normally 13 to 14. And he says that's the reason he got cramps, Aram. Yeah, that 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 tweet from Caitlin McGrath. So that I think it already has three million impressions. She's the uh, the Blue Jays staff writer for for the Athletic, and it's just Blue Jays starter Yusei Kikuchi thinks he'll be fine, but for his next start after he left the game with cramps, the biggest revelation was that he said it may have been caused to only getting eleven hours of sleep instead of his usual thirteen to fourteen. Three million views on that tweet, which is hilarious because. It's not really a ratio because Caitlin is only doing great reporting here, but basically it's just ratioed with quote tweets of people like, what the fuck? Think about it. 13 to 14 hours. That means that through the course of a day, he is sleeping more than he is awake. Like this man is unconscious more than he is conscious, which I kind of envy, but I also is like, that's, that's nuts. Like that's insane. I think that's almost too much. He sleeps like a 16-year-old or someone that just had an absolute bender and is yeah. sleeping off an entire weekend of alcohol, and he's doing that nightly. I mean, good for him. Professional athletes sleeping that long. Like, we've heard about LeBron James, yeah. right, saying he needs to get at least 10. 13 to 14, you are asleep longer than you are awake. At that point, That's- like we're getting into territories that are I- rarely seen in sports. I haven't heard anyone humans. get that amount of sleep. Humans. humans. That's double. I'm, I'm normally like a seven-hour guy. So like, And I, yeah. I would love to get the 14. The only time I think I've gotten 14, college, I had mono and strep at the same time, which is classic college disease. Um, and I think I got a, a full 14 in. I like, I just I couldn't move. But I couldn't imagine doing that every single day. Uh, I think the props only to time him. I've... I think the only time I've ever been in the 13, 14 hour range, I studied abroad in Italy. And I remember my first day I was adjusting to the time and I slept for an incredible amount of time. But I just don't know how I'd feel when you awake from that sort of hibernation. Like that's not 
getting a good night's sleep. You're hibernating. You're, you're literally hibernating. I, you must feel like you just came out of a cave. I can't imagine what it I want to see like a day in the life of Yusei Kikuchi. Can can they give us that? Can can somebody give us that? I, I, Blue Jays, please. Just I know it'll be a lot of sleeping, but I want to see that man like get out of his cave and just like all groggy. It just looks like he just basically came out of a coma. Like that's what I want to see. So give us a day in the life of Yusei Kikuchi, please. I would I would love to see that. Next, a guy that might need to sleep more, might do wonders for his body, Carlos Correa. I don't know, but good transition. Weird, weird thing here. So we know his foot and ankle and all that shit. It's just been jacked up, and I really feel for him with that. I mean, we saw him fail multiple physicals, the whole craziness of free agency, and unfortunately, I think it's been a big reason why he has struggled for the most part this year. And we've seen him kind of banged up a lot of this season. Plantar fasciitis is kind of this this thing that really plagued Albert Pujols, it plagues a lot of players. It's like the bottom of your feet uh, that, that can really get jacked up. And usually it's a byproduct of a different issue. And what's interesting is apparently the surgery, what they do is they just cut the plantar fascia. So basically Correa took care of that for himself because according to Betsy Helfand, um, she just reported that Carlos Correa's MRI revealed, and this came from Nick, Paparesta. I hope I said that right. Carlos Correa's MRI revealed full thickness tear of the central cortex of his plantar fascia. That tear should help alleviate some discomfort Correa has had moving forward. So he literally took care of it for himself. They cut it for you and he jacked it up so bad that he, he basically tore it for himself. Whoa. Yeah. First of all, are we blaming Carlos Correa's bad season on kind of being banged up all year? Because these, this is why he was offered 13 years from the New York Mets. Then they took the offer away. Are the twins just getting a guy who is going to be perpetually injured for the rest of his career? Cause you look at the year that Carlos Correa has had. I hope it's all injuries. And then he can yeah. come back because the reality is. Ezekiel Tovar of the Colorado Rockies put up a 1.8 F4 this year. Carlos Correa, 1.1. Among qualified shortstops, the guys beneath him are Javier Baez at 0.7 and Ahmed Rosario at 0.4. Carlos Correa, among qualified shortstops, has been one of the worst overall players. And the reason why I kind of want to blame it on injuries because... Carlos Correa was never known as this elite, elite hitter. He was a great hitter, but he was known for the rocket of an arm and for being one of the best defenders in the sport. But those defensive metrics, not only are they not great, they're not good, they're not average, they are below average. He has not been a good overall baseball player this yeah. season. He's gotten his 18 home runs, but he's hitting around 230 with a WRC plus below 100. That is really, really concerning in year one of a six-year contract worth over $200 million. Yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there because the defense is where it really stands out. When when you see a guy that's just not having the same amount of range, just doesn't look comfortable out there. And again, the plantar fascia thing is is definitely a, a big aspect to that because what, what's defense all about, especially at shortstop? It's footwork. And plantar fascia, uh, that's all about your feet. I, I've dealt with it, and I tried to go uh, skiing. And I had to sit down in the middle of the mountain because it was hurting so bad. Cause you're trying to like flex and move your feet and it can really mess you up. Like you just can't turn. It feels like you, 
feels like you have knives in your heels. It's it's horrible. It's and I haven't had it to the point where I have a full thickness tear. And by the way, Nick Paparesta is the head trainer for the twins. So the head trainer for the twins thinks that this will actually alleviate the discomfort. So that is good news. So I do hope that, you know, we know he has the other issues and, and the things that have come up in physicals. And I think that he's kind of been playing through that already. I'm hoping that maybe this plantar fascia issue uh, getting rectified a little bit will, will allow him to just kind of be the normal play through the pain guy. I think this was just another thing that was that was affecting him. But it's really scary. It's hard to speculate on injuries and things, and, and hopefully he just comes back next year and is, is much better. But he hits he hits the IL now. I think they were doing this to try to make sure that he's ready to go for the playoffs. But it's horrible timing because then Royce Lewis right after like tweaks his hammy. And, and really doesn't look comfortable either. So it would be like seamless. Okay, you can put Lewis at shortstop. Now it's a weird spot. They realistically need both of them. They need all hands on deck if they want to win, you know, a World Series or even try to make a push for it. But man, I I don't I don't really know how to feel about this because it's like part of me is like, damn, that's a big blow to lose Correa. But at the same time, like right now, losing Royce Lewis is a bigger blow. Way bigger. Oh, Carlos Correa has not been good this season. It's like... The Twins just lost a little bit better version of Javier Baez. Like, I cannot stress how bad Carlos Correa has been this season. I think you can put him on a short list of the most disappointing players in Major League Baseball this season. Oh, I'm sure we'll do that. (laughs) That also, yo, we will and people will get (laughs) upset. That speaks to the consistency of the rest of the Twins, right? They have still led this division while it has not been a good division. At the same time, they have gotten such great contributions from their starting pitching. The bullpen as a whole hasn't been great, but the back end guys have been nails all season long. And like you said, Royce Lewis is the best hitter in Major League Baseball history with the bases <laughs> loaded. We've seen those five grand slams, but you look around the rest of the team and they are getting good contributions from every position outside of shortstop their six-year 200 million dollar guy so i'm left here with the question arm and i don't truly have the answer i keep going back and forth on this because i keep wanting to blame the bad year on injuries but at the same time like i said he came in we knew that this was going to be an injured guy yeah and the mets decided they didn't want to do the deal at all so they didn't feel that it was going to age long term and it's already happening in year one so i'm left here thinking to myself if i'm trusting doctors of other teams carlos correa this contract is not going to age well i I mean that that definitely seems like it's the case and what's interesting is hold on we can't just buy into yeah of course he's going to bounce back it's carlos correa like we have no data to support that now. And it, it boils back down to the thing I said early on, which was like shocking news. Every time he kept failing the physical, like world renowned doctors agree with world renowned doctors. Like it, that seemed to be the case. One, the Mets. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine if the Mets had the season that they're having and had Correa on the books that that's a whole other side of it, which would have been just, just a nightmare. The other side that's interesting is like, I'm looking at this guy offensively and and you mentioned like data, the thing with the, that's interesting offensively is he's in the ball as hard as he ever has hit it. Like the the the, the, the exit 
the exit velocities are good. I, I really just think his legs are, are, are failing him. Like it, it's just, and especially on the de- defensive side, because if he was picking it the way that he picks it, like every single year before this one, yes, the seven eleven OPS is disappointing, but if he's, if he's a phenomenal shortstop, like he's been, he's still a three, four, one player this year. And yeah, we're saying, man, is this the new Correa? Like this isn't exactly what we're hoping, but you can say, oh, well, if he bounces back to a seven eighty OPS next year, that's still a four five one player potentially. It's like Dan V. Swanson asked. Again, that's disappointing for Carlos Correa, but you're not terrified. Right now, I'm if he's not playing good shortstop, I'm pretty terrified. I'm pretty terrified. So what do the twins do? You just gotta keep putting him out there shortstop you as long as he's healthy and you just gotta ride it out. Yeah. But that's a big blow because it's not like the twins are the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets where they can just be like, all right, we'll eat the money. It sucks, but we'll just go sign somebody else. This is not that team. No. What's the last big-time offer the Twins have given out outside of Carlos Correa? They don't give out $200 million Buxton, deals. Buxton, Buxton, so, and that one didn't go well either already. And That one hasn't gone well, so it's going to make the Twins more timid in the open market, being like, we are clearly not doing a good job here. So not only are the Twins going to suffer what is happening on the field with Correa, I think it's going to affect the front office in future moves, being like, well, we have to get this thing perfect. And at the same time, there's going to be another team that is willing to risk the biscuit and outpay the Twins. Yeah. So this is a big blow, not just to Correa, not just to the Twins this year, but I think moving forward in his contract and the way the front office will operate. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's really frustrating because, and I feel for them because I love Correa. I love Byron Buxton. Those are two guys I love to watch play baseball, but that's upwards of $300 million. I think there's some protections that they have within both of those contracts, which uh, fortunately that should help them a little bit, but just for round numbers, let's say 250 to $300 million contributed to, you know, Correa and Buxton. And this is again, like you said, this is not a team that spends a ton of money. So that really can handcuff them. And it's just, I feel for the twins because they're going to lose Sonny Gray. Potentially. I don't see a way that they're going to pay him. Um, good that they extended Pablo Lopez. And I now looking at it, thank goodness they made that trade and Joe Ryan's not going anywhere. And Chris Paddock's throwing 98, by the way, in his rehab start. What the hell? Uh, but there's just this level of frustration because they're, two guys that should be, you know, their, their cornerstone pieces and Buxton and Correa can't stay healthy. And then the, the kind of next wave, the next face of the franchise and Royce Lewis has torn his ACL twice and, you know, just keeps getting hurt, whether it's a fluky injury at first base or now tweaking his hamstring. And it's just, I feel for twins fans, man, it's gotta be really frustrating uh, with, with just the health aspect of things. Good thing they have Walker Jenkins. Yeah, that's actually a great point. <laughs> that's Thank like, goodness that definitely. dude is going to be a freak. I am so, so excited to yeah. see what he continues to do. I'm just falling in love every single time I see him. Oh my God. They they are so that that's the one really good thing is they can look forward to him. He's gonna climb quickly. Um, a guy that did climb quickly and now is really balling out that I wanted to talk about. I, I did a whole piece and a whole breakdown with video, uh, the whole nine yards. So check out the link in the episode description. Jordan Walker made some really awesome swing changes, Peter. And, uh, you know, doing that in the season's tough. And we were wondering why they sent him down after 19 games. And now it all kind of makes sense. Because I think after 19 games, they realize, hey, he's got to make some adjustments. We've, we've identified it now. Let's get him to AAA. Let's get him to make those adjustments so we can come back and help us as soon as possible. He did come back and he has helped them as soon as possible. But of course, there's just way too many other issues with that team. Uh, but he has been awesome. 
since coming back. OPS over 800, hitting more home runs, hitting the ball in the air more. In that 20-game stretch, I think it was actually 20 games when they sent him down, 60% ground ball rate. Since then, over his last 30 games, I think he's got a 36% ground ball rate. I won't get into all the minutia of the mechanical adjustments that he's made because there's video and data and a really detailed breakdown on that in the article if you want to check that out. But Peter, I wanted to ask you, with Jordan Walker now, and the F war, I think, really sells him short because they said, hey, go play the outfield after 50 games in the minor leagues. Learning a new position in his rookie year, I'm not putting much stock into it. Especially like if he's a 25-year-old rookie, maybe we're having another discussion. But at the end of the day, like Jordan Walker is 21 years old. He is the same age as Dylan Cruz. Like I'm giving him a second. A hundred percent. And like you said, give him a second. Like they gave him that and, and he's been great. And actually in September, it's been his first month of a positive outs above average in the outfield so far. So he's small sample size. getting better because he's a freak athlete. Like yeah. I, I've got no- a hose for an arm. My question for you is, do you keep him in the outfield now? Or do you start to think about, you know, life after Arenado or, or things like that? Or do you just kind of settle him into the outfield and just let him become an outfielder? That's part one for my question to you. And then part two is, has your perspective on Jordan Walker changed at all from when he was the number two prospect at just baseball going into this year and where he's at right now? Uh, well, I'll answer the first question about what I would do. Would I move him over to third base? You still have Nolan Arenado for the foreseeable yeah. future. And I remember that his name was getting floated in trade talks. So was Paul Goldschmidt's and you and I, Jack included, we said on the show, no way. There is no possible way he is getting traded. And this is the same show that was thinking maybe Juan Soto gets traded for the second time. And we were dead fast. Those guys are not getting traded, no matter if the Cardinals won zero games and they yeah. went zero and 162. They yeah. are not getting traded. I would have him just settle into yeah. a left field or right field position. I'm with you. Maybe you see him move over to right field, but it's not like the third base position defensively is that much more impactful than a corner outfield spot. Of course it's more impactful, but I just need your bat in the lineup. And I would truthfully, if I was the Cardinals front office, which they will not do. If I was them, I would be like, what do you prefer? How do we make you the most comfortable at the plate? Like what is your position that you feel long-term is the best for you? And maybe if you asked him, he might say third base, but he's not going to say I hate, hate the outfield especially because he is also seeing himself improve month over month you talked about it with the outs above average like I feel like just the person when I'm learning something new if I'm taking myself back to my 21 it's going to make me better in other areas which I'm already strong at right if I'm seeing myself improve I even see it come up in the numbers like I'm gonna have then more confidence at the plate because overall I'm just feeling better so I think it's a two-pronged approach. Like he's feeling more comfortable in the outfield. He's not thinking as much. Then it moves over to the plate with those adjustments. And I thought the biggest thing that you brought up, and the article, by the way, is phenomenal. You have to check it out on justbaseball.com. You did such Thanks, a good sir. job. I remember watching him early on in the season, and I was like, this guy hits the ball so freaking hard, but everything is a hard ground ball to shortstop. Yeah everything is smacked to the third baseman on the ground. And I'm like, if he can just put the ball in the air, this is still going to be one of the premier power bats in baseball. 
moving forward. What did he do? Lowers that ground ball rate, almost cuts it in half. What happens? He becomes a good hitter at 21 years old. Like our, the context surrounding these guys has to change. Like we're looking at CJ Abrams start to take a next step at 22. That's still a year older than Jordan Walker. What did we see with Bobby Wood Jr.? He went from a liability at shortstop, and he was putting up power and speed numbers, but we're like, uh, like we're still average waiting. offensive numbers overall, though. Like exactly to now one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. I have none, zero, zip reservations about Jordan Walker still remaining one of the premier power bats in baseball down the line. Yep. and we're starting to see it click month by month. Like if I'm a Cardinals fan and I'm watching, I'm just looking for general progression. That's all. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm if I'm a Cardinals fan sitting here, I am so excited from what I'm seeing. And I'm so excited for the future because this is not a guy that's going to get worse. These things are only going to get better and better because the swing is still good. It was just down on the ball. He lifts up a little bit and again, Check out the mechanics on justbaseball.com. But then you're seeing these balls continually just hit in the air. That's going to lead towards success, getting better at right field. I think this version of Jordan Walker will become one of the best outfielders in Major League Baseball in a couple of years. I'm with you. And it's a plus-plus arm. And you mentioned, like, how much does the defense matter? Both of those positions, it's like you got to hit at third and in right field. But if you're the the best third baseman of all time, which Nolan Arenado arguably is, like, great, that – that you got that guy at third and now Walker and Wright mashing. Like at the end of the day, Walker's value comes from his bat last 30 games, 311, 380, 547 slash line, 927 OPS, 10% walk rate or 10% walk rate, 22% K rate. And it's funny because people are like, Oh, well, why does he just hit the ball in the air more? And that's why I wanted to dive into this piece. Like it's fucking hard, man. Guys hard. are throwing out 9,800 mile an hour fastballs in on your hands. Hammers breaking the other way. Sinkers running in on you. You have to have your mechanics so optimized and so consistent to be able to consistently drive the ball in the air. And for to see the tangible adjustments and then to see the data back it up, I, I'm I, if anything, I'm actually more optimistic on this guy. And it's funny because if you zoom out and you talk about how important context is, you zoom out and say, oh, this was the number two prospect in baseball. Some had him number one going into this year. And he puts up an 0.2 F, whatever his F4 is because of, of, of the defense. How could you feel better about him? I watched a guy struggle, get sent to AAA, which by the way, he had never played in AAA. He, he had come up straight from double, make yep. tangible adjustments, come back up and get better and better and better as the season went on. And he was 20 at season start. If anything, I feel as optimistic as I've ever felt about Jordan Walker. And, and I think, like you said, I think he's going to be a, a right field power bat for a, the foreseeable future and could be a big X factor for the Cardinals next year as they try to, you know, turn the tides here. You got the the, the Hall of Famers and Goldie and, and Arenado. How can you have another impactful player? Have Jordan Walker make that leap to, to all-star caliber, which I think he can do next year. And I think it's so cool too, like even looking at just his strikeouts and his walks, just like mm-hmm. simple stats, right? How's your plate discipline looking? Even with all of these struggles, right? When we look at the entire year, because we're talking about he's hitting 311 with a 550 slug in his last, and I'm sure the walks and strikeouts are great, but you take the entire year, strikeout rate below 25%, yep. walk rate at almost 8% as a 21-year-old. Yep. That's what I always valued about Jordan Walker too. Because he's not just a big slugger, no. right? What comes off the page is he hits the ball 115 miles an hour. 
and he's going to hit a bunch of home runs. But is he going to hit 260 and strike out 30% of the time, which is not the worst thing in the world. Like Matt Olson is extremely yeah. valuable. Of course, he counteracts it with walking a ton, but he's going to hit 270, 50 bombs. This is why I'm so excited about Jordan Walker, because he has the ability to hit 300 in this league while also hitting 40 home runs. Like, will that happen? I don't know, but it's in his bag. It's in the percentile outcomes of Jordan Walker. It's hard to find that no. among any 21-year-old in the world. Yeah. And if you just look at Major League Baseball, like you look at anyone from ages 20 to 23, who has percentile outcomes of hitting 300 with 40-plus home runs? Yeah, even if it's, it's the 100th percentile, percentile it's it, there's not very many guys that you can even realistically dream on the best-case scenario getting close to that. There's not a lot. At all. I'm so excited about this guy moving forward. If I'm Cardinals fans, I am drooling over his potential. And we're already seeing it. And yeah. that's the point here. It's and that's exciting. a silver lining of, of this rough year is he got to work through all this. And now he's ready to help next year. So a big Perfect reason to work he, through it, right? Cardinals yep. weren't contending anyway. Perfect year. It's actually, you might look back on it a couple of years. It was like, this is actually, it took all the pressure off of a playoff race. I have to perform right now. Then in 2024, he's one of the Cardinals best players. 2025 he's in the mvp conversation yeah. i think that's his very possible very po and it allowed wayno to get 200 because no way they're letting that man throw if they were still in the hunt so uh double uh, twofold there two really great things i want i have a gripe with the waiver system because if you remember how it used to be there it was you had the trade deadline then you had the non-waiver trade deadline or sorry you had the non-waiver trade deadline and then you had the waiver trade deadline which would be a month after and basically the difference would be that you'd have to, instead of just having you know free reign to make whatever trades with whatever teams you, you want after the regular trade deadline, then you'd have to put a guy up on waivers and then whoever claims him, you'd have you'd be able to work out a trade with them and there'd be prospects compensation. They eliminated that. They wanted one firm deadline. That's fine. But the issue is now after the trade deadline, you have this, this waiver period where teams that want to dump salary, and we've talked about that, can just put guys up on waivers and they get claimed. The difference is, Teams didn't used to be so excited and and ready to jump and claim anybody because you used to have to try to put together a package and and, and give some sort of prospect return. Now it's just, now you just got to pick up a salary and that's it. So teams are happy to claim whoever. I mean, we just saw the Guardians do crazy shit and then end up just being like, oh, wow, didn't work, right? And, and we were hoping that it would, but they claim several guys to try to give it a last ditch effort because they're like, ah, oh, you know, it's a couple million dollars. Why not? Let's let's give it a shot. Red, same thing. They already move on from Renfro. So the reason why I bring this up is Matt Moore gets claimed by the Marlins. And this is after he was claimed by the Guardians. And look, I'm, I'm happy that the Marlins get some reinforcements here. Matt Moore can't even pitch in the playoffs. So that's the other really funny part about this is this man starts in LA. Then he has to go to, to Cleveland. Then he has to go to Miami. And it's kind of a weird, like, backwards LeBron path, by the way. But what's what's weird about it is I just feel for this guy because I can't imagine bouncing around that much. And then beyond that, he's going to come. What's his incentive? I, I, maybe he gets a playoff share. I don't know. What's his incentive to actually care? And, and I'm, I'm sure he's a pro's pro and he's going to care. And I'm sure the Marlins vetted that out. But you're, he's coming to the Marlins for 10 games. He's probably going to pitch, what, two or three of them? Maybe they run him into the ground because he's not going to be playoff eligible. Like, I, I just think this whole system is insane because now it just becomes a salary dump. All these teams have nothing to lose, and players are getting passed around, and it's just ridiculous. It's not fair to these guys. 
It's so funny. You said in the group chat, what is Matt Moore's incentive to pitch well now that he's on the Marlins? And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And then I remembered, I was like, he's not playoff edge eligible, is he? So then I'm thinking to myself, Arv, you're so right. I was about to come on the podcast and be wrong and be like, yeah, you get Matt Moore in the bullpen, another yeah. lefty right in the playoffs. Like, that's going to be great. And then I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. What is his truly incentive? Like to get picked up next year? Like, I don't yeah. think a team is going to look at Matt Moore stats on the Marlins and be like you know what there we go right we're going to give you a couple extra million dollars like he I don't think he truly has an incentive other than well I get to go pitch a couple of games and it might be a nice weekend or two in Miami like that's truly all it is for him but it makes total sense for the Marlins right yeah no doubt no doubt I mean they're running Tanner Scott and Andrew Nardi into the ground you know those guys have thrown as much as anybody like at least if they make the playoffs now you can preserve them a little bit and I'm I'm glad they got Matt Moore, but the, the one positive for Moore, and it's super small because it's prorated salary, right? But now that he's in Florida, no, no income tax, so he'll probably make a little bit more money. That's cool. Especially going from LA, I don't know what Cleveland situation is, and and now being in 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 Miami, he'll definitely make more money. But it's such a small sample. Um, if the Marlins somehow won a World Series, he'd get a ring. But again, that's not. I don't That'd think he's cool. buying into that one. Um, so <laughs> I just that was like that that was the example where I'm like, man, this sucks for these players. And I wonder if it's going to be a conversation in the next CBA. Like maybe a guy can only enter waivers once after, you know, after August 1st or after, after a certain date, or maybe you have a, a deadline on, on waivers period. Like you can't put a guy up on waivers after September, because to, to me, it's just like, when you go out and pick up a guy's contract, you should you should have to be kind of stuck with that guy for the rest of the year. Just because, again, Absolutely. teams shouldn't be able to just cast you aside knowing that someone's going to claim you because you're good and that actually works against you. You'd be better off if you sucked. Like if nobody claims Hunter Renfro because he was so bad, like that actually works better for him because he gets to just kind of coast. He still gets paid. So it's actually worse if you get claimed. So playing well is almost like a is almost bad if your team wants to save some money. So that's where I think they need to figure this out. It used to take care of itself because you used to have to make trades and work something out. You don't have to do that anymore. And so there's no reason for these teams not to claim guys that they think can help them and not to cast them aside when they want to save a few bucks. And I would love to hear from Matt Moore. David Robertson's out here, you know, complaining about being traded and saying how he didn't want to get moved and it's a pain in the ass. You got traded once and it was at the deadline. It was to a contender. Matt Moore has been passed around to from shitty team to team that was shitty that was hoping they wouldn't be shitty and ended up still being shitty to team that's hoping to make the playoffs and you can't, and now you're not eligible for that team. Like that is, a, that's just unfair to, to Matt Moore. Totally unfair to Matt Moore. And I don't blame him at all. Right. For struggling in Cleveland in that brief cameo, you said it yourself. Like there's no true, true incentive for him to pitch. Well, he's probably dealing with the move moving from LA to Cleveland where he's already bounced around right he was in Philly not that long ago so just that mental toll on a guy baseball is hard enough then when you throw in four cities in a year right in a calendar year he's got to be all over the place now he's going to Miami like he's probably dealing with so many moves he's probably dealing with family members like I think people forget the human side that these guys are not robots that traveling across the country like we went to seattle 
for the all-star game festivities and after seattle like we were beat yeah. all we were doing was talking and going to games yeah. like i'm not trying to compare us but what i am saying is like the human element of consistently traveling and performing at the highest level in different spots like we talk about home road splits right you get used to a mound you get used to pitching at a certain ballpark you don't get that when you're consistently moving and moving and just another guy like who hasn't been claimed again but Hunter Renfro, right? Hunter Renfro is now put on waivers from the Reds because he didn't perform well in like a couple of weeks. 14 games. Getting adjusted, 14 games getting adjusted to a new place. Yeah. Like, you can't blame the teams. They're yeah. playing the system. That's yeah. the system that's in place. But it's a broken system. And we also, we got into the debate last time when we said, should it make sense that the teams that, you know, are right there in playoff contention versus not, like, the contenders rarely are going to get them. Like, we debated that that's not a huge deal, but it's still not a great deal. And then on top of it, the rest of the system is completely broken. Yeah. Like, instead of, you know, making more and more changes, like, I keep hearing, all right, we need to make an MVP for one league, right? Now that the National League has the <laughs> DH and there's more parity within the league that, National League are playing American League. Now we need an award. Let's fix fix the waiver system first. Yeah. Let's do that first instead of trying to create awards that ultimately don't really matter in the yeah. grand scheme of it. A hundred percent. And the last thing I'll say is is that when you can claim four guys at once, like some teams did, and and like even in this red situation where they claim multiple bats you're more likely to maybe cast one off after because you got you, you got to figure out you know how to f- find room on the roster and that's exactly what the what the Reds did here where after 14 games yes Renfro was terrible he was 5 for 39 but i still like we thought i think we all agreed we thought he was going to go nuts in cincinnati he played really well there really in the past on the road and i thought he would fit and for whatever reason it just hasn't worked but but it's also 39 plate appearances. Like, who knows if it wouldn't have worked over 100? Right? Yeah. You just got off to a slow start moving to a new place. Like, And and then you, now, now see you. Now see you because we want to save a million bucks or whatever it is. Like, And, and that's that. So to wrap up on Matt Moore, though, I mean, th- he does help. And, and assuming he's, yeah. he, um, again, I think the Marlins vetted it out, I'm sure. Probably but called his agent. Help. He might not help because it's this third team and he might yeah. struggle. Like, that's a realistic outcome. That's I'm assuming there was like some. Because he's a human being. I'm assuming there was like some vetting. I'm with you, but I'm assuming there was like some vetting process of like, does Matt actually want to come here? Like, if we you're claim- assuming that the Marlins front office did a great job vetting, I mean, yes. they're, they're a fine front office. They're not the best. I know, I know. <laughs> better, 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 but better. If if Moore wants to be there and he gives them a few good games here, that is a help down the stretch because this bullpen is taxed. It just sucks that if Cleveland couldn't claim four fucking guys or however many they claimed. Matt Moore would have been a Marlin and he'd be playoff eligible and he'd be in one place. And, and, and like, and again, I'm not saying this from the Marlins perspective, like, of course I'm going to skew that way a little bit, but it's just annoying that like a team can claim four guys and say, ah, and we don't need them anymore. It didn't work out the way we thought. And now none of these guys are eligible to play in the playoffs. That's the part that's, that's kind of uh, iffy to me, but I don't know if Renfro gets picked up. I, I I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah. Like Hunter Renfro, Matt Moore is not in this case because the Guardians were not making the playoffs. So basically, if he stayed on the Guardians, they weren't making it anyway. Like now Hunter Renfro is not allowed to participate in the playoffs. Yes. Like that sucks. Not only am I getting cut, now there's no shot. And he was on the Reds. The Reds are in the playoff hunt. Yeah. So if they just kept him, he would have a shot of being in the postseason. Yeah. And now 
He had to deal with the Angels shit all year long. Yeah. And then now he goes to the Reds. He just shouldn't be on teams with red uniforms. It's obviously yeah. horrible for him. It just hasn't worked for him. The Red Sox fucking moved him. Sox. Moved him for Jackie Bradley Jr. Like th- this guy just does. He does not. He does not get enough love. Um, and he's gonna be a free agent. So I wonder if he's just gonna put his feet up, take the rest of his money here, and and call it a day. But I, I just, I'm looking at like Nick Martini and you know some of the other guys that are there. And I'm like, I know that you need a left-handed bat, but you have so many left-handed bats in your lineup. Like you really did didn't think that you could use Hunter Renfro even with the struggles. Like that was, that was a surprise to me. It was. Did they make any corresponding moves? I I think they brought up a pitcher. Did they bring up a pitcher? I have no, I have no idea what the corresponding move was. I just saw, I just saw Renfro on, on waivers. And I was like, these poor motherfuckers, like these poor guys Um, real quick. Speaking of trade deadline and like guys that were moved, so we saw Michael Lorenzen move to the bullpen and he got tattooed in his first start out or his first appearance out of the bullpen. And now Jack Flaherty moves to the bullpen. And for those that were like upset, I know Reds fans specifically would, uh, we have a nice, a nice group of Reds fans that listen to the podcast and a nice Reds audience. But they, the one time they turned on me when it was when I was saying they shouldn't trade their prospects for, you know, these kind of middling pitchers. Could you imagine if they traded a pitch or a solid prospect for Jack Flaherty, who now is being moved to the Orioles bullpen as well? We just talked last episode, Peter, about what we would do with the Orioles rotation in the playoffs. And of course, Jack Flaherty was not even in that conversation, even if we didn't know that he was being moved to the bullpen. Uh, but this is just <laughs> this is just kind of an unfortunate end to it. And and I don't really know what Jack Flaherty out of the bullpen even looks like. It's just it feels like so many of these deadline arms have been terrible. And like Lance Lynn's been the best one. No shit. Of course he has been because the Dodgers <laughs> got him. No, yeah. but it was funny. Orioles fans, I give them credit. Like I will give fan bases credit when I think that your overall fan base is very, very intelligent. And I still totally believe that about the Orioles. Oh, yeah. But we made a TikTok. Oh, I got how hooked. we thought the Orioles failed at the deadline because we think they needed to do more. And now they have been amazing. Right, You can make the argument that we were both wrong and right, that they should have done more, but at the same time, them not doing anything, they were fine. But we got a lot of flack for saying that Flaherty wasn't a great move. Yeah, Orioles fans, and if you don't believe me, that video got over 200,000 views with about a thousand comments, about 25,000. Oh, just it was like hate views, though. It was like views. This guy's a casual. Yeah. I yeah. never got called a casual before. That one... Every every single one of them was like, what are you talking about? Jack Flaherty is a middle of the rotation arm. We got him. Like, I'm excited for Jack Flaherty. And I was like, Orioles fans, come on. You're better than that. What are we talking about here? And then we almost had to eat it. Jack Flaherty comes out in his first he shove 97. He looks sharp. And we're like, whoa, okay, we'll eat that. And we always admit when we're wrong. We were just wrong about Hunter Renfro eight seconds ago yeah. on the show. Yeah. But that was an L. Orioles fans, and yeah. not all of them, but a good portion of them on social media, at least in our comments section, which was a pretty solid, you know, grouping. Take the L. We take our L's all the time. I'm asking Orioles fans to hold the L on that one. Yeah. Objectively not a good move. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. I and it's 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 funny because like I that was one of the only times that I've I, I've gone through the comments and it was like, whoa, we got 
cooked. I got cooked. cooked. I no, got cooked. It reminded me of the time where we put Freddie over Vladdy in our first base rankings, where I was like, guys, look at this. It has 1,700 comments of well, people saying we're the I, worst reporters out there. I was, I was like, one of what them. What are we talking I, about? I was one of them. I thought I, I hated that ranking at the time too. You got, you, you, you were right on that one. I, I, I made 10 burners and was like, Bozo, you don't know shit. Vladdy's him. Uh, but unfortunately that, that was, oh, I was Vladdy, wrong about that one. Vladdy is a literal Dundin merchant at this point. Dunedin, I think it's Dunedin. Dunedin merchant. I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> a Dunedin merchant uh, and a Buffalo merchant. It's a, it's a launch pad out here, but well, real quick. Yeah, yeah. So listeners know, before we move on to the, the last couple topics, you need how many hits from Vladdy to hit your, your season long prize picks square, like, prize picks bet like can you explain so, this yes so at the beginning of and the year, even if you're not a better by the way this is absolutely insane we don't make much money so this would change peter's year uh, like <laughs> this is like this is this is crazy money <laughs> so it would be insane um if if this if this worked out so at the beginning of the season six picks to win six thousand two hundred and fifty dollars i put two hundred fifty dollars on it so luckily if Vladdy doesn't go over the amount of hits that I projected him at, I will still double the money. That's the okay. great part of prize picks. It's a flex play. So if you get five out of six right, 250 turns into 500. But if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. goes over 163 and a half hits this season, where he currently sits at 151, I win $6,250. I took Aloy Jimenez less than 29 and a half home runs. He's got Three. seven. Not even close. Free. Clayton Kershaw, less than 165 and a half. It was not strikeouts. It was not about, oh, I don't believe in Kershaw as the pitcher when he's on the mound. I said the Dodgers are going to limit his innings. He hasn't gotten here in two straight seasons, and he's only been getting older. That's going to go under 127 Ks. Jordan Alvarez, less than 37 and a half home runs. I got cooked for that one. And my point is, he's got to stay healthy all year while playing more outfield. And he has to set his own record for home runs. Everyone thought, oh, Jordan just hits 50 every single year. No. Why Jordan is so great is because he hits 300 with 35, 40 bombs. That's why he's so great. He also hits He also hits at a 50 home run pace. He just doesn't play enough games to hit 50 home runs. Exactly. So he's going to go under. Marcus Simeon, more than 153 and a half hits. I'm buying his jersey. He's the greatest player that's ever lived. And Shohei Otani, less than 315 ERA. Four outs then taken out of the game. Tommy John surgery. He's one of my favorite players I've ever seen. But that he was, finished up 3-1-4 going left at 1-5. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And, and like the most unfortunate way to win, like to to, to hit yeah. that. But I like, think he would have gone under even more. If that's he the thing. Pitching, if he didn't get hurt, he would have. So that was yeah. not, I didn't want that, but yeah. he locked in a 3-1-4. So the thing with Vladdy, first of all, he had 12 games left from when I, or 13 games, no, he needed 13 hits in 12 games. So that was on Tuesday, right? This is coming out on Thursday. On that Tuesday game, he went 0 for 5 against the Yankees. Two of them were called errors when they were both tough plays. No way. I didn't know that. One on a little dribbler to Oswald Peraza, where he came up and it was a tough play, should have been a hit. Then there was another one to Volpe, which he would have beaten out, but Volpe went home, and it was called an error. Those should have been two hits. 
At least one. So I will remember that box score. The Blue Jays won seven to one. Vladdy goes 0 for 5, and there's two errors in the column, both on Vladdy. If if that is the difference here, Arm, and of you got to find that scorekeeper. Of course, it was in a Yankee game. Like my anger about the Yankees, like it's of course in a Yankee game. It's just that's it's been fun watching watching that go though. Hopefully, Vladdy can just. Put it together for you, man. I get that game one time. I mean, he's also just been bad this year. He's hitting 265. That's a whole nother topic that we're going to talk about and talk about disappointments. That's another one that, that we'll hit on. But before, I guess the last thing that I have, unless there's anything else you want to discuss is the, the draft. And, you know, we, we oh, hit on right the draft. It's my favorite part. It's yeah. Like arms it's like prospects report about the draft. I just sit here and shut the hell up and I add what I need to. <laughs> well, perfect. I, 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 and I got guys that I know you have plenty to, to say about for the most part, but I do have to start with one guy that we already talked about in the last draft discussion because Wyatt fucking Langford, dude, made his AAA debut, four hits, 112-mile-an-hour double, and two infield hits, by the way, where you saw him just bust it down the line, plus plus speed. This dude is fucking insane. It, like, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. So he's got an OPS almost at 1,200 uh, across every level now, and he's – succeeding easily four hits in his first triple a game this guy's probably going to break camp next year I, I i think there's a there's a legitimate chance that he is on the opening day roster where does he fit in i have no idea i think the rangers end up making some moves around the deadline or i mean sorry around around winter meetings because they've got so many guys there and so many outfielders and and just you know versatile players and I feel like you you see what you've seen from Evan Carter you see what you're getting now from Wyatt Langford who looks like he's going to be ready to start next year they are in as good of a spot. We talk about farm system rankings. I, I love rankings of talent 25 years and under. The, the, this is a team in the Rangers that is as loaded as anybody with that. I would say talent 30 years and younger, just loaded. Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford in the same outfield. When up the middle, you have Seeger and Semyon locked up for the foreseeable future with Josh Young at third and Nathaniel Lowe at first base and the emergence of Jonah Heim. They might just have you and I start pitching because they don't need them. I mean, they needed them this year, but at the same time, we're looking a couple years into the future when Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford are those dudes and Josh Young has fully progressed and all that kind of stuff. So we're not talking about right now. And of course, every team needs starting pitching, but that is incredible. And also I've been starting to getting tagged and I'm like, Hey, look, Peter got a prospect take, right? So my take at the beginning of the season, we were going through the college world series was I was like, I'm a Dylan Cruz guy. I would draft Dylan Cruz first, but at the same time, guys, Wyatt Langford is not that fucking different. Like I was like, when I was watching these college games, Wyatt Langford and Dylan Cruz, like I am more afraid of Wyatt Langford at the plate. If I have a bet on the other side, if I'm on Florida, like that's something sometimes kind of, it's like, that can kind of point you towards guys that are really good. Like your that's subconscious. What, like, Spencer Steer, I'm like, I know that if Spencer Steer comes up, we got a shot. That's yeah. what made me fall in love. And then just the great at bats, like that was Langford in college. I was blown away. It was every single ball hit off his bat, whether it was caught, it was 110 putting up amazing at bats. I was like, I would take Cruz one, but I would also take Langford one. Like if they took him, he is a different breed. And it's also the speed and he can play center. I know That's he's probably the one not if going he can, to play center. Yeah. If he can, he can learn. If he can learn to play center, his out, he's the top prospect in baseball. And that's the one thing is he's like, he might still be, 
he's his legs are like so like strong and like he's sometimes almost like a little heavy that his his routes in the outfield are like shaky. But even if he plays left, he could be a really good left fielder. And, and the bat is what it's all about. Ten home runs and ten stolen bases, by the way, already this year as well in like thirty something games across all of those levels. His swing is, is is it's it's insane. And I think the craziest thing is you mentioned Cruz and like I think everybody wanted to play it safe with Cruz. And what we're seeing is you know Cruz great at the lower level, struggling in double A. That's totally fine. Langford's swing is just more ready for for the highest level at this present moment. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing, which is, which is pretty awesome. But I want to highlight a handful of names that I think aren't either going one way totally or the other way. I just wanted like some interesting notes and kind of all over the map in terms of where they're at for me, but I will start with the positive. And what do the Orioles do? They draft really freaking well and they develop hitting. I, I was a little bit skeptical of the Enrique Bradfield, you know, selection at 17th overall. Um, but I love the second round pick. I'm gonna talk about both those guys. We'll start with Bradfield. 17th overall pick, Orioles take him. The the bat was just disappointing, man. You and I were were drinking the Kool-Aid when we were at the College World Series a couple years ago uh and watching I, Bradfield I looked, go. I looked over you and I was like, I think I drafted one. Like that's how obsessed I was with that bubble. He's the fastest person I've ever seen on a baseball field, and he's an 80 grade defender. I was like, if he hits at all, he's gonna be a plus player. And- and that was the thing is like, you're like, you could see the potential, the field of hits there is super patient and he's, he's long. Like he's got long levers. Like he, he's, he's got plenty of room to add strength. So I'm like, man, if, if, if the bat comes along this, this dude, yeah, it could be a top, top pick in the draft. The bat just stalled. And if anything, he took kind of a step back last year and, yeah. and that was frustrating, but I think the Orioles saw this as an opportunity is, Hey, we can get a guy that Already he's an elite defender. You can't teach the speed. It's really hard to teach approach in terms of being able to recognize strike zone. And Bradfield's shown that. 25 stolen bases in 25 games. A- across multiple levels, 291, 473. You're like, oh, that sounds like a good slasher. 329. So mm. it, OBP of almost 500, that's what he does. Only three extra base hits, though, and they're all doubles. That's the challenge. If the Orioles, who are one of the – and again, I – I really was eye-opening one, one, just watching all these prospects blossom, but two, talking to Kobe Mayo on the call-up. And he was kind of talking about some of the things that they worked on with him and and how they've helped him unlock more power and be more consistent. I'm like, okay, they identified Bradfield. And I think with an off season and, and camp and everything to work with him, they might be able to unlock something. So this is a guy that if he was selected elsewhere, I'd be a little bit nervous, but I'm very much interested to see how he looks starting next year and see if there's any adjustments to his swing. Cause I think he could go, nuclear or he might just end up being this kind of fourth outfield guy and and it's just a wide it's a wide range for a guy that's got a high floor in terms of just a phenomenal defensive center fielder who can run and maybe it's simple but he's with the orioles yep and what does he have to unlock what would you say of the tools is the easiest to unlock it might be power when you have the frame yes like especially i think it's case by case but if you have a guy whose swing is you know not not optimized at all in terms of the moves to to use his body, use his lower half. And you see like, oh, he's super wiry and long, like he can add strength. Then yeah, you, you put on some muscle, you get the lower half involved more, you tap into more power. Um, if you're like a five, eight guy that just doesn't have juice, like it's, you can't really teach it at that point. It's pretty hard with Bradfield. I think they can get him to do that. And again, the field, it hits there. It's just too much weak contact. So I'm very eager to see how he develops and his pro debut. I would say went kind of exactly how I, thought it would which is not a bad thing and they they'll have time to work with him this offseason but the guy but that's I, why 
No, sorry, no, go ahead. hold on. Just one last point on Bradfield, but that's why I'm bullish on him, right? Mm-hmm. Because you put him in center field today for the Baltimore Orioles, and he's one of the better defensive center fielders in Major League Baseball. Yeah. You put him on the base pass, he's one of the best base dealers in Major League Baseball. You even put him at the plate. I think he's walk. still getting on base at like a 330 clip. So if he's a guy in Major League Baseball at his, not floor, but let's say 50th percentile outcome, where he's hitting 280 with a 350 OBP and a 350 slug. Like he only hits five home runs over 162 games, but he steals 40 and plays elite defense. Like that's what I think is just what might happen to him if he never unlocks anything. But if he's a, if he unlocks 15 home runs and he unlocks more balls in the outfield, like I was just a bunch of doubles. I mean, this is, that's a four to five win player we're oh, yeah. looking at. And I think that's the vision that the Orioles see. And if there's a team to buy in, in terms of a hitting lab right now, yeah, the Orioles are the team. Yeah, I mean, they have taken the mantle. Like other teams have pitching. Other teams have overall better ways of developing both. But just from a hitting lab standpoint, this is the perfect player to go into the Orioles hitting lab and them for – and for them to unlock everything that he can be. Yeah. That's why I'm very bullish on him. A hundred percent. If he was drafted by the Marlins, I think he'd be cooked. Like I'm not like, if, if, in the wrong franchise. The and that's the, out of the nature versus nurture thing. Like there's a lot of nurture with, with hitting, especially at this, at this level now with how good guys are. So I think they got as much upside as they could get at 17. And they also get Mac Horvath in the second round. And this just fits the bill of the kind of hitters that, I think they just crush it with in the second round. They find the Connor Norby types, uh, you know, Joey Ortiz in the fourth round. They just seem to find these underrated bats. And Horvath was awesome at UNC. Um, and so far is off to an unbelievable start to his pro career. 22 games across multiple levels. I think right, most recently at high A, 321, 455, 603 slash line, five home runs, 12 extra base hits. This was, wow. and and I love it when there's a guy, Horvath for me was ID'd as, Again, like one of the, I think my favorites outside of the first round bats. And the second the Orioles took him, I'm like, of course. It was the same thing with Connor Norby. One of my favorite outside of the first round bats, Orioles took him. I'm like, okay. That's that's where I'm like, okay. They're looking at some of the things that I guess I try to follow suit with. And uh, there's a reason why their system's very good. So I'm very excited about Horvath. A little bit of swing and miss. He's kept it in check so far. And I'm intrigued to see how he develops. I think this is going to be another steal for the O's. Another look, name. The Orioles are doing well. Like that's now becoming the least shocking thing I've ever heard. They are incredible at developing talent in those levels. Acquiring pitching, we got another issue. They're starting. They're starting to. They're no, starting acquiring of the oh. trade deadline. Oh, <laughs> that's a different. Yeah, they're starting to develop pitching a little bit, which is oh, they are. Oh, they're they're a great organization. They're turning, overall, except they bag on their announcers and they acquire Jack Flaherty. They yeah. have, they've made a couple of mistakes this year. Michael Elias is great. Uh, whatever his name is, the the owner is, is brutal. I already forgot his name. Um, He's uh, a forgettable I, guy. I don't forgettable even guy. <laughs> Dylan head. I've talked about him. Padres 25th overall pick. I thought he really showed out similar to the Max Clark situation. Awesome at the complex. You see him and you're like, wow, that's actually a really advanced swing for a young high schooler. Then gets shows enough to get to low A and struggled a bit at low A. But I saw flashes of, of I think, a lot of similar things to Max Clark. Elite speed, really good defense, 
and above average power potential and, and a really good feel to hit. So I think Dylan head might end up being one of the steals and just being able to see more of him. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, and I think he starts the year in low A next year and has a, a really nice season and can probably finish the year up in high A and knowing the Padres, maybe he finishes in double because again, it's a more advanced swing. Another team that AJ Preller, you say what you want about him as a GM, unbelievable scout uh, and, and just really does a great job of IDing hitters uh, and prep hitters. And head is just one of those. I think borderline 80 grade runner that I think is going to be a big time riser uh, next year on the top prospect list. And it was a top 100 prospect for us right after the draft, which is you know rare for somebody outside of the top 20 picks. Yeah. As much as we make fun of AJ Preller, we've always given him his shine as one of the better scouts that is a GM in major league baseball. He's phenomenal at it. Now it's not all on him, right? He's not in the draft room alone by himself no, with his no. draft board, but it's the Padres organization headlined by AJ Preller and what they've been able to do is grab these guys. And that's why consistently they can make these big time trades because they keep bringing up guys who are really, really talented. And yep. this is just another one for them. Yep. And, and it, I mean, look at Jackson Merrill when they took him, everyone was like, who? And then they took James Wood in the second round. Everyone's like, eh. and look at where those guys are now. It's, it's, it's really amazing. The Braves are interesting when with their draft approach. And they always like to go with these kind of volatile arms, and they're always picking in the late first round. And Hurston Waldrip has been awesome. And I know Jack loves this guy. Waldrip was a guy I was kind of mixed on. You know, it's very splitter dependent. I'm going to talk about that because the splitter is absolutely insane. But the fastball has been in the mid-90s. He's pitched between A, high A, and double A. 25 innings, a 1.8 ERA, 36 strikeouts, 13 walks. So there's, a, there's there's some command questions there. But this dude, the reason why I like him is you're picking late in the first round. You're a team that's perpetually in contention. You want a guy that's going to be able to contribute one way or another. I think Waldrop has a chance to be a, a middle of the rotation starter, but he's going to have to develop you know, a little bit more of a breaking ball, and he's going to need to improve the command. But his splitter is almost, I think, big league bullpen ready now. Opponents so far this year, and, and I watched it through college. It's just disgusting. But opponents this year professionally, Two for 32 with 22 strikeouts against his splitter. It's a 063 batting average. That will play, and that pitch, I think, gives him the floor of a reliever already. There was a lot of discourse surrounding Hurston Waldrop come draft time because there was a group of people who were like, he might be the best pitcher in this draft, right? When you look at stuff characteristics, when you look at stuff models, they projected him as a frontline ace type guy because the spin rates, the velocity. But when I watched him at Florida, and this is why I was kind of in between, I was like, yes, I think he is the nastiest pitcher in the draft. Like, you can look at the models, but just watch him pitch at Florida. This stuff is unbelievable. The problem is his command stunk. Oh, my God. And it was all over the place. And the splitter was amazing. But he was, but then he'd try and come back into the zone with fastballs middle-middle. And it's a good fastball. But at the same time, like, these college hitters are getting better and better. And even if it's 95 and it's middle, they can hit it. Yeah. And he was getting hit. So it was like, I see the vision. If he gets in an organization and they're able to develop him, I can see it. I still think just with his mechanics, he's always going to have command issues, but he'll be able to counteract it at his peak with a 30% K rate. Like yeah. he would be a guy who would strike out everybody kind of similar to a Blake Snell. Like, P. Kirsten Waldrop could win a Cy Young one year because of the stuff being so incredible. But then floor Hurston Waldrop could look like those bad years with Blake Snell. Now you oh, it could be a reliever. Blake Snell. 
could be a reliever. Like you would totally take Blake Snell, but at the same time, I was like, his 100th percentile outcome is probably Blake Snell. Like more likely than not, he's not really going to get close there. But what you're saying is in the early goings of his minor league season with the Braves, he's showing that potential of what he could be, which is a frontline guy who does get his walks, but strikes out the world. Yeah, and I think he's going to lie somewhere in the middle, which is like middle rotation arm, you know, flashes a frontline dude where you're like, holy crap, 12 punchies shut out, but then just not enough consistency. But again, like I just I like that with that pitch alone, you feel pretty confident that he can at least be a big league reliever. And and the thing is, when you're picking late in the first round, you're, you're going for upside, and that's what the Braves typically like to do. And uh, the, the interesting thing with somebody like Waldrip is – you had the wide range of, of like kind of perspectives on him, like you mentioned. And I think that deterred a lot of teams. And for the Braves, it's like, dude, we're picking the 24th pick. Like, well, let's, let's try to get some upside here and let's see what can happen. And I'm interested to see what can happen, but they definitely got at that point for sure. The arguably the highest upside arm that was still available because you could argue other than Paul Skeens, pretty much he has as much upside as, as any arm in that entire draft, especially out of the college crop. You, know, you could go into the high school guys, but you never know what's going to happen there. So I, I'm excited to see what he does, but that splitter, man, that pitch is a problem. I got yeah, one that, other name. That was what was known as the best pitch in the draft. Like people were talking, well, well Paul Skeens throws a hundred. No, it was Hurston Waldrop splitter. That was the best pitch in this draft. Well, I think that's what the Braves do. We've seen that, right? They keep betting on upside, and sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But with their first round, like, I think, like, when we do mock drafts, pick the guy with the highest percentile outcome, but also the lowest. Like, that's probably who the Braves are going to draft because that's what they keep doing. They're like, we have a great, we have a great team right now. Let's just try and luck into a frontline guy. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. We'll be fine. Yep. Yeah. I, I kind of like it. I get fired up now. I buy into it. I'd say the only other pitch that I'd take, the only pitch I'd take over that is skein to slider. And then that's it. The skein slider. Maybe. But I, great, again, but well, that, I mean, I mean, well, look at the numbers. Like the splitter yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. Because a great splitter is, I think the most unhittable pitch. In, in it, it falls off the table. You can't do shit with it. No one can hit that. And that's why everyone's trying to throw it. Last guy. And this was a big analytics favorite. And I still think he can be very good, but this is a concerning start. I, I generally, and I said this to you before, like I generally believe that the cameos that we get at the end of a college season or at the end of high school season, we get these, you know, end of year minor league debuts for guys. Typically they they don't, they're not emblematic of much unless they're super extreme one way or another. Wyatt Langford's is emblematic of positive stuff because he's already in AAA and has four hits in his first game. Um, Chase Davis struggling in low A is a little bit concerning for me because at least to the the degree of where some had him tapped. There were some prospect outlets out there who had him as a top 50 prospect in baseball uh, right after the draft. Cardinals took him at 21. I liked the pick. I did. And I still do. But it's just been weird. The underlying data looks pretty good. The Florida State League is a tough place to hit. And that's why I was surprised that they have him in low A. I'd almost rather see him in high A. But this dude... In, in his low A game so far, or the season, it's over. 212, 366, 269. No home runs, six extra base hits, striking out 26% of the time. I, again, I'm not sounding the alarms. I think he's going to come back next year. Again, the Cardinals do a really good job of working with hitters, and I think having a camp will, will be good for him. But just because of similar to Waldrip, we saw some people that were really high on him. I think this was 
a reminder of like, let's slow it down. Maybe there's a reason why he wasn't a top 10 pick. I think he's a really good prospect. I think he was a good pick at that spot. But again, I've seen people that said he's, you know, top three bat in the draft, uh, top 50 prospect in baseball. I think he's got some more work to do there. And, and I thought, again, small sample, but I thought that this was kind of emblematic of that. Underlying data is positive, though, but that was also why people loved him. A couple things. There were mock drafts who had him at six to the A's. Like, that was how hot some people had Chase Davis. And it wasn't – it was obviously because he could have gone under slot and it would be a high I thought they might pick. do that. Yeah, and I, I was with you. Like, when I'm saying some, I'm saying, like, I think we even talked about it. Like, it, it wasn't an outlandish take. No. Like, he was a high upside pick, kind of like Waldrop. For me, and I'm sure you share this same thing, too. That's why you said it. He could go 0 for 40 in this little short stint, and I wouldn't really care. No. It's too early. Like, these guys, they just get done with their seasons. They come into minor league baseball, big adjustment. And like, some guys hit the ground running, and we get excited about them. And the reason we get excited about him is because it's so hard to hit the ground running straight after your high school or college season and immediately start hitting pitching in the lower levels of the minor leagues because it's still good, right? And it might be hard at the lower levels when a guy throws 97, has no idea where it's going. Like, how do you hit that? And the zones are huge. Too? Yeah. The zones are huge. Like, it's just hard to do that. So when guys struggle, we don't put much stock into it. This is a guy who, if he hit the ground running. Oh, people would have been like over the moon but if he's not hitting the ground running like if i'm a cardinals fan watching him i'm like it's fine he's gonna be okay now we just have to see more if he struggles all of next season then we Mm -hmm. know consider something what's the issue here but now it's just he didn't hit the ground running that's the i would i would just say the the one thing that stood out to me is that I think this was one of the more surprising guys to struggle. Like I was expecting him to be one of the guys that would hit the ground running. And that was, I was like, with these high upside guys, like Waldrop is the same way. Like I'm not surprised if they hit the ground running or struggle. They're just, I felt like they were both in the same boat of high upside picks. They might work extremely well. They might not. And that was, that was my opinion of those two going into the draft. Yeah. and, And it was a data driven pick. And usually those guys, it takes a little bit of time. So I'm very excited to see Chase Davis. I think he is still a really good prospect. And I just think it was interesting to see him pushed so quickly. And that's why I like to, to usually, I usually tread a little bit lighter on the, on the draft guys, unless they absolutely floor me uh, because it's just such a different beast like Wyatt Langford. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep talking about these guys in the off season. Of course, we'll be breaking it down on the call up. I'm I'm interested to see, yeah, I'll be able to get a lot of in-person looks in spring training of, of Davis. Cause that's you know, right in my mom's backyard. I always go back home, see my family and, and do the uh, spring training and, and backfields whole thing in South Florida, which is great. So I'll be looking forward to that. I know that'll come up real quick. Any final thoughts before we uh, wind it down? Yeah, you're kind of a fraud. You didn't uh, talk about George Lombard Jr. and his 822 OPS. You just don't like him. <laughs> oh, I forgot about George Lombard. Uh, I will say Kevin McGonigal looks awesome. So people want to talk about like, oh, why'd they pass on Max Clark? Uh, or I'm sorry, why'd they take Max Clark and pass on Wyatt Langford? Part of it was to have the money to go get Kevin McGonigal. And the Tigers, man, like they definitely hit on that pick too. Because again, I'd rather have Wyatt Langford, but McGonigal looks awesome awesome super advanced swing has put up phenomenal numbers at the lower levels and it looks like they're gonna have two really solid prospects between mcgonigal and and clark so if you're not if you're gonna pass on the guy that you shouldn't have passed on at least 
pick an exciting player in Max Clark who looks good and then really hit with some of the savings with that second pick in McGonagall. So there is a silver lining there. McGonagall has been awesome for the Tigers so far. Absolutely. And for those wondering, George Lombard Jr. is, of course, a Yankee. A, a Yankees first round pick. I didn't like him when we got draft when we drafted him. And he's got an 822 OPS. I'm excited. And that'll do it for the Just Baseball Show, of course, brought to you by BetMGM. $1,500 in bonus bets. If you use the link down below, make sure to use code JUSTBASEBALL. We'll be back tomorrow. And make sure Friday mailbag. There's going to be a uh, post on our Instagram and on our Twitter. Leave all the questions. It will be the three of us. We're going to start doing those mailbags every other Friday because I think the mailbags are better when it's the three of us. We all answer them when we debate and all that good stuff. So no those will be on Friday. So check out by the time you're listening to this, unless you listen to it at 3, 4 in the morning, <laughs> should be posted around 9 a.m. Make sure to get all those questions in and we'll answer them for the Friday show. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. It's a big red button. It doesn't cost you a dime. How about a like? Do you like Please. the show? Can you like it? And leave a comment. Orioles fans, hold the L. <laughs> and I would love to debate with you in the comments. I'll be looking at those comments, Orioles fans. Tell me if you should hold the L or you still think we're crazy. Appreciate everybody listening. And then just last part, if you could rate and review this show five stars, whether it be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that's our mom. Peter will be back on Friday. And with that, thank you.